What's up? This is David Lee Kim, co-founder of Omniscient Digital, and you're listening to The Long Game. Today we have a kitchen side episode where myself, Ali, and Alex, the co-founders, give a behind-the-scenes look at the business, how we work with clients, and the work we do for clients. In this conversation, we talk about content strategy, a core offering of ours, and how our thinking has evolved over the years of working on content strategy through our careers at companies like HubSpot, Shopify, Workato, CXL, and more. We came to a lot of revelations in this conversation, including what is strategy and what does good content strategy look like? What do many people get wrong about strategy? And the thing we've really agreed on here is a list of tactics is not a strategy. And that's probably what you've run into before. And the biggest revelation I think we've landed on is that good content strategy is actually about more than just content. It's actually just good business strategy. So this is a really insightful conversation. You're gonna hear us developing our thoughts and opinions as we go and crystallizing how we wanna approach these conversations, not just with clients, but with other folks in the industry. One of our principles for Omniscient Digital is to level up the content marketing universe, and we believe that these conversations are gonna be what takes us up to the next level. So without further ado, hope you enjoy this conversation and that it helps you develop your own strategy. Here's our conversation about content strategy. I was working on some of the strategies for our clients and I started thinking like, oh shit, the way I think about content strategy has changed so much mm-hmm. over, like since the beginning of my career. Because at the beginning of my career, I was just like, oh yeah, just do some keyword research and then write some articles about them. And I think this is very timely too, because Ali, you've been rethinking about our whole strategy process. And so I was like, I think we should all, because we all started in content. So I figured, hey, let's all chat about how our thinking has, has evolved. Because mm-hmm. I think maybe the industry can has been and maybe should continue evolving as well from um, just how we used to do it. And even now, how we're currently doing it is probably going to, we might see where it's going to go. But maybe a good starting point here is, like, how did we originally think about content strategy? If we were to think about if like a couple years ago or earlier on in our careers, what did you all think content strategy was or how did you do it back then? Uh, do you remember the first time you like learned about content marketing? Because for me, it was this audiobook that I read. Well, maybe I knew about content marketing before, but I didn't really call it content marketing because I had read authors like Ryan Holiday and Tim, Tim Ferriss and, and their blogs. And I guess that was content marketing. But the first time I heard it kind of wrapped in terminology was reading Joe Polizzi's book. Um, it wasn't Content Inc. It was, it was the one before that, but he was the founder of Content Marketing Institute. And the book was eye-opening, but it really just like listed a bunch of different content formats and ideas. It's like, oh, you could create like an industry newspaper. You could create a magazine. You could do a blog post. You could do infographics. And I was like, wow, all of these creative ways to like market your company just through kind of like organic written word, essentially. And I think that was that was largely the idea that I had in my mind of content when I first got into it. It was just like brainstorm a bunch of topics that you care about and maybe your audience cares about, write them, make them to the best of your ability. And that that's kind of it. Like that was, that was yeah. basically it. And I think that actually follows the trajectory of most kind of like um, uh, disciplines and their maturity curve. Because if I think back to like experimentation and CRO, most of the books at the start, uh, when people just started learning about that term, conversion rate optimization, they were like, hey, 
you can run A-B tests. Like you can test button colors. You can test landing pages. You can test copy. And, and it was just this like evangelist kind of way to say like, hey, here's a thing you can do. And then over time that starts to get honed in. And it's like, maybe you shouldn't test everything. Maybe you shouldn't create infographics. Maybe that's not right for your business. And that's when you know you start to hone in on kind of a more mature version of strategy. That was that was my introduction anyway. Yeah, when I was freelancing, I was very siloed. Like I was just one part of the process. This was like 2016. So my first few clients were publications. So I was never really introduced to conversion like strategy within content because that's not what they were trying to do. It was mostly just to drive traffic and eyeballs. Um, so I think my first true introduction to strategy, content strategy was at HubSpot, but it like was very rooted in SEO. So I think I, from the start, um, connected SEO content and strategy uh, very closely because those are those were the strongest two factors in my role as a staff writer and a content marketer. And as I as I progressed there, um, it, it, there was a low ceiling. You know, we've had conversations about this and everything, but I think that's why when we started creating our strategies at Omniscient, that was kind of my starting point. Um, so when we would do our content roadmap reports and build um, kind of our actions to take on behalf of our clients, the starting point was like topical and as, like rooted in SEO. There was We didn't really back up anymore and talk about like audience or goals or any of that stuff. I think we did at the high level, but in terms of how we presented our strategy, for me, it was very reminiscent of what I had used at HubSpot um, and then what I had taken with me into my later roles. So that was my introduction to strategy was definitely through the lens of SEO. Uh, so limited for sure. Yeah. I think I learned, I didn't learn content strategy. I learned content marketing and it was from, it was when I was just trying to understand what my marketing career was. And I was reading like quick sprout articles mm. and they had like a, content marketing 101 guide or something. And yeah, it was, it was the same thing as what you read, Alex, where it was just, here are all the different types of content types you can create. Yeah. These are infographics and these are social media things. And I remember going into one of my first like part-time jobs being like, you should do social media, you should do eBooks, you should do blog posts and all this shit. And then over time I realized, oh, it's more of like figuring out what you want to write about. And then you can figure out what mediums it should be. But I think lately what we've been talking about is actually it's actually saying no to a lot of all those things you could do and figure out like I think strategy is just this nebulous term. So and I think Alex, you have a good definition of it. But mm -hmm. now we're starting to pull it all the way back before we even talk about topics or formats or anything like that. We're like, wait, what the hell are we going to do? Like what what is the strategy? And we're starting to peel back that onion, I guess, with clients now, we were like, okay, we're not talking topics or keywords here. We're, we didn't know what your business strategy is before we started even talking about content. Yeah. I think that's where like my early education, I was not taught ab about how to tie content to business goals. Now I had a very specific role at HubSpot, right? Like there was a large company. So there was probably no reason for that to be taught to me early on, but it's something that I had to kind of teach myself because like, what is the point of all of this if we're not going to help grow a business and grow revenue or help our clients meet their goals, whatever they are. Um, and I think starting there, like I said, starting from the, st the true starting line, 
understanding like who are we talking to and what do we want to tell them? How are we going to get their attention? What are we going to do with that attention? And then how do we know it's working? Like all of those things need to be answered first before you even get to the topics. Um, but yeah, we, you know, we've talked about how nebulous strategy can be and how like there's so many different definitions and everything, especially when it pertains to content. I, I would say there's even um, a window a little farther back, which is like, how does this play into the marketing strategy and the general business goals and trajectory and the the pace yeah. that you want to grow those? Because I was maybe on the tactical level, but if I look back at my experience at Lawn Starter, we actually had a strategy um, that kind of mapped up towards the company and, and growth goals. And what we were doing with content was actually it was it was a fairly sophisticated approach. In that we knew that people weren't going to necessarily read articles about lawn care or landscaping and sign up for basically an Uber for lawn care app. But we knew that there was bottom funnel search keywords for these terms, and they were mainly playing in the realm of like local SEO. So this is like people would search Austin lawn care or Washington, DC landscaping. But it takes a lot of links and a lot of like kind of SEO juice to build up, you know, the authority to rank for those pages. So what we would do was create um, sort of link bait content, <laughs> infographics and things that would surely never convert. And we would just drive tons of links. We would do like scholarships and we would do ego bait for different like local newspapers and stuff like that. And all of those would funnel back into those landing pages. And that was kind of like the growth goals. Like how can we you know, increase the organic rankings and traffic through those? Because that's how we're going to get users. And that was the end goal of the company, right? So in that way, like we we kind of map back even more so, and we don't just say like how do we want to write this piece, how are we going to reach them, but like what how how is content even fitting into this puzzle of marketing in the first place? Yeah, like if we use that launch start example, it sounds like the goal, the strategy was we know people search for local lawn care services. We see that there's an opportunity to rank for these. However, in order to rank for them, we need things like backlinks and traffic to those pages great, we can't just write this content and expect it to rank. We need to go do these other tactical things in order to get them to rank. But the goal is to rank, like get people looking for those services right now to actually find launch. Right, right. The acquisition goals are going to be user growth. And then um, underneath that, the goals for content are going to be to rank those organic pages because we could we could map out the total addressable market of those or like the overall search volume and realize that that was a good investment if you compared it to other channels like paid search or sort of integrations or anything else we could have done. And that was a worthwhile goal. So then we're like, all right, well, how are we going to rank for those? Then it's like, all right, the strategy is to create link bait, link bait pages, link bait blog posts and infographics that then kind of like increase our domain rating and like pass the link juice onto those pages. And then underneath that, that's the tactics. That's where it's like, all right, we're going to run a scholarship. We're going to uh, create an infographic on why everybody's moving to Austin. And we're going to like, you know, send that out to all the local publications and newspapers, et cetera. Um, and, and those were sort of the ground level things that we would do on a day-to-day basis. But the overall content strategy was sort of fulfilling those organic landing pages um, to facilitate yeah. user growth. And, and that was totally different, by the way, than like my next experience at CXL, which was totally an expertise-led company and teaching people how to do things like A-B testing or analytics, like within our articles, our long form pieces was actually a totally valid way to get them to sign up for either the, the Institute uh, for courses or for the agency, right? Because you're sort of showcasing your expertise in those areas. So it was like a totally different approach. Yeah. it's And what I found just talking to prospects and even our, our current clients is it almost always boils down to either we want to drive revenue, we want to get market share. Uh, I think it's just those two. And then like market share is where it's like, we want to get 
essentially more people thinking about us earlier on in process where they're not necessarily focused on direct revenue, but they're like, we need to at least let people know we exist. And then the people who want revenue are like, we want leads from this content. And I find that on call, on sales calls, people always say we want to do organic and SEO. And I just keep asking them why or why it's important. And it always comes back to, well, we don't really want just traffic, we want leads. And then that helps like define the rest of the conversation where it's like, okay, well, let's talk about who your ICPs are, who's your buying persona, who's involved, what's your brand point of point of view. And then we start talking about things far beyond just what keywords do you want to rank for? Yeah, I think the the point, like they want to get leads through organic content. That's a fine goal, but then you have to start thinking about like what's the individualized strategy to accomplish that goal. And I think that's where a lot of the conversation breaks down in this industry because people either say like, all right, I want to do what my competitor is doing, which is like the worst possible thing, right? Like we, we've had to turn down clients before. Um, this is essentially like they they should do a SWOT analysis and actually like look at their weaknesses and be honest about them because we've had companies that are like, Hey, we're a new startup. We just raised our seed round or our Series A, and we're competing against Intercom and Drift and HubSpot. And we want to do organic, but we can only publish like four times a month. And <laughs> it's like, well, how in what world do you think you can win at that strategy? Given that HubSpot and Drift and all these companies did this years, if not decades ago, like that's a huge one. But that's essentially like the the goal of like leads through content, leads through SEO. That can be further broken down into like dozens of different strategies. And the other problem, by the way, outside of the competitor thing is often people will get very, very focused on their unique strategy, like their one kind of playbook, right? You see this um, with like, all right, only go after bottom funnel keywords or only high tempo content, like only publish a ton. Or, you know, like people have this like, the the Maslow's hammer, you know, everything looks like a nail if all, all you have is a hammer and people get very fixated on their like one approach. But I think it's it's much more fluid. In, in the world that I want to live in for content anyway, it's, it's very individualized. Yeah. So how do we define like, what's a, what's a strategy then? Cause I think we've, I think we've kind of hammered away at the point that, Hey, a list of tactics aren't, isn't a strategy, even saying like a goal of generating leads is not a strategy. That's, that's the outcome of what you want to do. How would y'all define or like, what are some examples of what a good strategy is? Can I give like a high level metaphor for a strategy first? So I, I think of it like, and this may be like, um, you know, an approximation, but I think of it like if you were going to take a trip to, well, let's, let's say like, where do you want, where, where do we want to travel to, right? Like that's your goal. Maybe uh, you you want to go to San Francisco for a conference or something like that. And you're, you, you know, where you start from uh, matters a lot. Like if you're starting from Oakland, like your strategy is going to be completely different than if you're starting from New York City. And then, so so that's the strategy is like how you get there, right? And that depends on your weaknesses, your strengths, your assets, what you have available. You know, if you have a car, like that's an option for you. But if you don't have a car, could you rent a car? Oh, you don't have the money for that, right? Like, are you going to hitchhike? Like, are, can you take a plane? Do you need to get there faster uh, because, you know, like you've got a conference at a certain time that you need to be there? All of those things kind of... Um, inform like the route that you take there. And then the individual tactics are like, all right, we're taking a road trip. We're going to stop this many times on the way. And we're going to take the scenic route because I actually want to see uh, Sedona. <laughs> so it, it kind of like maps back down to that. But if you don't know where you're going and if you don't know where you're starting and the, the assets that you have available for you, then it's it's almost impossible to say like which route is the best way to get there. And the modes of transportation would be the tactics. 
the modes of transportation is is more of a strategy. Well, it's more of a strategy. It's like if you're going to take a road trip versus a plane versus a train or something like that, because that has to do with like how much money do you have, how many suitcases are you bringing, like what size of a party are you traveling time. with, all of that stuff. Yeah. And then the individual yeah. decisions along that journey, I think, are, are largely the tactics. I see. It's how you complete that journey. How do you complete that road trip? Yeah. You know, like yeah. how much gas do you I need think, to get there? I think it's also answering why, like why you want to take yeah. a plane versus why you want to take a road trip. Like there's no right or wrong answer. It's just, especially if you're like in mar- like marketing leadership or communicating to marketing leadership, why you believe your strategy is the best case. The question is going to be, well, why, why do you think we should do it this way versus those other ways? So you need to be able to say like, well, we're on a budget, so we can't necessarily fly all these people, but we can have five people in a car and it'll like be more cost efficient. We we don't have a ton of urgency, so we can do that. And it'll be more fun for the team. Like just being able to explain the why and reason things out is like a yeah. huge part of strategy that I think people tend to miss. Cause like you'll you'll ask people what their goals are or why they believe this is the best way to do things, and they'll be like, Well, isn't like isn't it the only way to do it? Or isn't it like, why isn't it obvious yeah. that it's the clearest reason? And it's like, well, not everyone, everyone thinks very differently. And so like a big part of strategy is communicating the why um, with, with the additional context. And the important part of doing that too, it's an exercise that will actually force you to say, we don't have the resources to do this. Like we have a Tesla mm-hmm. and the only way we can get to San Francisco is on a road trip. Like this is not feasible or it's not going to be fun, right? Or or you're like, the only route here is a train and we don't want to take the train. We're not willing to invest in that long of a time frame. So like, we're just not going to do that. And we're just going to like scrap that trip and think about something else. And that's totally fine too. But a lot of people think, all right, I have to go here. I have to do content. I have to do this specific playbook, but they don't think about like the inherent weaknesses or limitations or forcing functions that they're going to have to go through to actually meet that goal essentially. And then you, you bring in like all of these like market trends and competitors and all of that stuff too. And things just get so much more more complicated. Um, so that's that's the bulk of why strategy is so hard and so important too. And why I think we've turned down so many people who say like, hey, yeah, we, we got a list of like 20 keywords. Our SEO agency gave it to us years ago. And if you could just write these, that would be great. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. we want to be part of a winning team, right? And that's not like a winning approach. Yeah. And maybe like to get even like very concrete, I just want to go with that example of a prospect that was like, yeah, we're live chat. We want to compete with HubSpot, Drift, Intercom, Zendesk, like whatever else company has uh, a live chat feature. And they're saying, yeah, we want to win on organic. And you have to take a look at the why. And it's like, well, why do you believe that? I don't, if I were them, I don't think there's any reason to believe they could win on organic, like against any of those. And so you need to go back, like, okay, what's the goal? And then if they say, well, our goal is to get like some customers, then then you can start thinking about well, what are the different paths to getting customers for you? Like, if it's content as a as a medium or a channel, then let's think about that. But also be open to other mediums. If they're talking mm-hmm. to us, they they're probably sold on content and they know it works. They just don't know how exactly to do it. And so then we can start talking about okay, well, what where are you different when it comes to content? What what's different about your product or company compared to all the incumbents? What's your messaging and positioning? Yeah. That's going to define like all that business strategy is what defines content strategy. Cause then now we can say, Oh, you have a very different opinion on how live chat should be done compared to these incumbents who've been doing it for 10 years. Great. Let's talk about that. But that's not a, a, an organic traffic play. That's like a, like positioning and naming your enemy 
and like thought leadership play, which is not going to get them organic traffic. So like, that's just a concrete example of questioning some of your assumptions and asking why, and then like when you can't answer why with a good response, you step back and you're like, wait, what are the other options here? Like that we should be considering. Yeah. And over again. <laughs> what? Just joking. I said my off. internet cut out, but uh, I was joking that you should say that whole thing over again. <laughs> that beautiful rant. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be able to. <laughs> Please verbatim. Uh, um, no, you were you were mentioning something uh, about. Um, I think you alluded to this anyway. Of um, when, once you start to ask yourself those questions. You start to identify strengths that you may have, um, maybe actually related to the weaknesses, um, or or maybe just kind of like orthogonal to the weaknesses. Because um, <laughs> um, if you're if you're trying to compete in an area where everything is low hanging fruit and everybody else can do the same thing that you're doing, and you have fewer resources uh, than the other people, then it's it's sort of an infeasible track. Um, but it's, it's something that I think we thought about when we were investing in our own approach to content and marketing, which is like, how, how are we going to, this is one of the most competitive spaces, like there's tons of content agencies and the keywords that we're competing on. If we go for a a more HubSpot style strategy with like top of funnel, middle funnel content is we're also competing with HubSpot and we're competing with all of these other MarTech companies who have been around for years and have teams of writers so we're like, all right, well, that's not really an option. And probably it's it's not like a feasible way to get the leads that we want anyway. So we're like, what are our strengths? And and also we had a weakness that was we were working full-time jobs. So we didn't necessarily have the time to invest in writing long-form content all the time. So we're like, all right, we we have um, we're all you know public speaking, kind of like public facing people. Um, we want to like talk to people and learn more. So the podcast become became this like pretty straightforward option for us to like repurpose content to kill many birds with one stone and to also showcase our own kind of expertise as we're building out content like it, it became this um sort of high leverage point outside of like spending time resources money on the same approach that other companies were using that we probably couldn't have beat them in so that we we kind of honed in on our strengths and and we've i think the important thing also is that we've committed to them like we we didn't just kind of test it out. We're like, this is the strategy we're going to take, and we we double down. Like I think that's something that not a lot of people think about too. Is like strategy is is um, it's best pursued from a full commitment. Mm-hmm. That's that's usually how you win. It, you can't kind of half ass it. Yeah, you also can't like change strategy every month or something. It's not really a strategy, then, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Another thing I'll say about where we. I think I don't want to say we went wrong, but a, a decision that we had made before we righted our own content strategy was we were pursuing the wrong audience. I think we were coming at it from more of an educational approach to educate writers and more of the junior, like mid-level content marketer. And those folks are either hired in lieu of an agency. And if they're not, they're not the decision makers when it comes to hiring an agency. So we were completely like we were targeting the wrong folks, targeting the wrong people and writing about the wrong things. So yes, those topics were highly competitive and organic is not necessarily where the people who end up closing with us spend a lot of their time. Um, But we were also going after the wrong people. And I think a lot of, at least in my experience, some of our clients, they don't really consider audience when it comes to what we write about and how we distribute, it's more of like either competitive analysis and trying to match or beat what competitors are doing or looking at 
the way that they describe their product or service and what they put on their website and all of the copy on their ads and like in product copy. And then they just pull keywords out of there and they don't even think about like the actual user reader journey, reader experience. And content consumption is so different now than it was five years ago. And it's changing. And I'm talking like written content consumption videos. That's a whole other ballgame. And I don't think a lot of people keep that in mind. Like the whole point of, of creating content, publishing it. Yes, when it comes to business goals, but also from the reader and like the consumer perspective um, or the business consumer perspective. And I think that that not only dictates how you generate topics, but also how you distribute, which is why like, how are we going to get people's attention? I think is a question like an organic play, David. I like the word that you use the word, the way they use the word play, because it's not like an organic strategy necessarily. Like that is woven into the strategy, but I don't think that strategy needs to be as emphasized on the, like distribution is a tactic. Like SEO is a distribution tactic. It's not necessarily like the strategy doesn't only need to revolve around that. It's just one part of the larger strategic conversation, which is going back to my initial introduction to content strategy, which was a list of keywords all rooted in or like driving organic traffic. And that is not a strategy. So I like using the word play because it kind of like releases the emphasis on that being like the end all be all of how you just decide what you're writing about and then how you measure success. Like that's just one component of it. Yeah, I think the keywords and the SEO approach is fine, but it's yeah more than that. Like you, something interesting you mentioned was like when we went after inadvertently kind of like freelancers and junior content marketers. I actually think that could be a totally valid play for a company like ours if they have different resources and, and a different timeline, right? Yeah. Because that could be almost like a flanking strategy in that we're not going after the same target audience that everybody else is. So there's kind of like less competition there. It's just like a longer play and a little bit more. Um, a little bit more obtuse, right? Because eventually maybe all those people could, you know, like be referrals or, or later or something on. Like that. Yeah. So that that could be a valid strategy, but that was a trade-off. We we deliberately said no to that. And that could right. be something that people would do. And we could reach them through keywords, through organic. We could reach them through communities. And then that presents a whole array of different decisions you could make for yeah. the audience as well. Cause that, that's like Rand uh, Fishkin's whole thing with SparkTor, right? Is like you often find the influencers who eventually talk to your target audience mm-hmm. and you create content for them. And that's totally that's that's a valid play as well, or you can go directly to them with whatever means you have as well. So, yeah, I mean that options. content it served us fine so far. You know, we've hired through that content, we've become known through that content, we've built conversation. Folks have reached out to us asking to create guest content and be on their podcast and join their community. So it's not that it's worked against us. It just isn't. If the goal of ours, which it has been through the podcast, is to drive leads and close new deals, like that wasn't the best time for that approach. But the good thing is like all of that educational content that we did create and still have a list of all those opportunities, like that's stuff that we know like the back of our hands. So the good thing is we, like you said, we can shelve it and it's a timing, it's a timing issue too. So that's, I I think think another, it wasn't solving our biggest problem because if you imagine like an alternative universe where we kind of had like a sales function, we had several SDRs and we had like so much pipeline that we couldn't handle it. Then maybe our biggest problem would have been fulfilling our our writer pipeline. And in that case, it's like, fuck yeah, let's let's take that route. But like we were trying to solve our biggest problem, not like a nice to have problem, which is another big strategy factor, by the way. And I think the, the key thing that's coming up here is, and I love that we're talking about like a concrete example where we had to make these calls. If, if you are not making a trade-off, mm. then you're probably not doing strategy because strategy yeah. is 
like the decision to go down a certain path, knowing that you won't be able to address all the other things you want to do. Like for us, we're like, sure, we can grow traffic. Sure, we can write about all these things, targeting more junior content marketers and grow traffic. But we're like, that's not what we need right now. We need to, that's our trade-off in order to focus on more nuanced content that targets like marketing leadership that doesn't generate, like really target any keywords. And actually worked out for us because it got like, more of the junior mid-level folks to look to us as experts talking about very nuanced things like content economics. Um, and I think that that trade-off is huge. I see it's coming up with a lot of prospects now. I'm like workshopping this phrase, but it's like the traffic trap where mm-hmm. they come to us after working with another agency who said they would do content strategy. They just wrote about high search volume keywords. So they have a lot of traffic, but none of it's converting. And now their executive team is like, hey, traffic is down because they lost rankings on those keywords. We come in and we're like, is that content converting anyone? And they're like, no, but leadership wants us to maintain this while also generating leads. And then they're like, oh, clearly it's a conversion rate optimization problem. And it's like, no, this is 101 content that has a lot of search volume, but these are entry-level people, probably like college students (laughs) that like, will never have their this pain point to buy your product. They're never going to become a lead. Or- and so then we have to be the one that has a tough conversation with them of like, look, if you want to work with us and generate leads from your target audience, which are VPs and directors, you can't have traffic and that at the same time. Like that is inherently a smaller audience than people searching like very intra-level one-on-one content. And so it's it's something that like, now people are like, our strategy is to grow traffic and get leads. And I'm like, those are kind of inherently at odds with each other. To some extent. Yeah, I, I actually wanted to bring that up because I, I mentioned one of the biggest mistakes with strategy being like not acknowledging fundamental weaknesses or copying competitors' playbooks. But the other one is this measurement um, uh, trap, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, because what's easy to measure often gets measured. So traffic is often like the foremost thing that SEO teams and content teams are going to be gold by. And I've seen that before where a piece that was previously ranking number one just drops to number six due to some sort of like competition or algorithm changes or whatever. And then all of a sudden, all of your numbers are down, but you're still actually printing just as as much money as many leads, et cetera, because that piece of content was really just kind of a false flag of sorts, red herring. Um, so I, I think... Pyrrhic victories are very common in the space, especially with executives who don't understand SEO and content. Mm-hmm. Um, an example from a past company that I worked at was like we had held this this snippet, this snippet in number one spot for essentially like a very top of funnel term, but it was a category term. I don't want to be too specific here, but um, <laughs> C-suite level at a large company was like we need to take this back from our biggest competitor. Who are, it was like number one and number two, right? It was fluctuating Google rankings. It was total bullshit. And it's like you can do a bunch of link building, you can beef up that content, you can pull all of your resources over to this and eventually win that out. But at what cost? <laughs> it's like you can succeed, but that's the pyrrhic victory thing. It comes at great cost because it's like this opportunity cost where you could have written a hundred new blog posts that were like low traffic and like your competitors weren't even looking at in the time that you spent just sculpting this one thing that actually didn't matter that much, but was more visible. Yeah. I I find it interesting that folks, I mean, it's part of our jobs, Google, obviously very core part of our jobs, but folks that try to compete at that little, like those little movements there. Yes. I know the percentage of folks that click on the featured snippet is much higher than the second or third result, but 
Google like is ultimately going to have that final control over the SERP and they're going to change, like they're going to bounce between one and two, one, two, and three. So it's interesting, like you said, to like put all your eggs in that basket and you probably see minimal return. And even if you do see a boost in traffic from winning that snippet, like how many of those visitors is actually are actually going to convert or at least like move further into the site and continue to read other content, which is, I think, a second, a second win under converting. Uh, is like yeah. time page or session length or whatever. So when I hear that story, there's a part of me who's like, I'm like shaking my head. The other part is like, I feel so bad for the poor team that has to go like drop everything they're doing because mm-hmm. the CEO or whoever was like, you need to get number one for this thing. And I've been in a situation where like, I feel like I have the tools to push back where I can ask like, why do you, why is that important to you? And be like, this concept doesn't convert. You don't, literally don't get any leads, blah, blah, blah. But for the folks who don't have the tools to communicate and like push back on strategy or these more tactical things, I feel really bad for. Um, and sometimes, you know, even if you push back, the CEO pulls the CEO card and you're like, well, I, fuck, I have to do it, I guess. Like, yeah. but this is also the trade-off. I'm not going to do any of this stuff, but I just feel bad for like, maybe it's more like the individual contributors or directors who don't have the tools to push back because they're also in this trap of like traffic and these like more vanity metrics. I think that's the other reason that establishing your your content strategy up front is so important. It's a communication tool and a prioritization tool. Um maybe we'll dive into this or I guess I'll I'll mention it now, but like we've we've sort of come up with this model and I can't remember the original source, but Tom Critchlow wrote about it with regards to SEO strategy, where it's like three pieces form it, and it's like a, a diagnosis. So you've got a goal, and then you're diagnosing like why you're not hitting that goal, right? Like what are the obstacles and the challenges that are preventing you from getting there? You do research, diagnose that, figure it out, and then you've got a guiding policy. So that's like sort of the one-liner or one paragraph, like here's what we're doing about it. And then there's the concrete set of actions. So if you've established all of that, especially in like a, a pretty format, like a Google Doc or a, a presentation, then you, you get everybody to agree on it. We're like, this, this is the plan, right? We're good. We're good. Yeah. And then you commit to it. And then when those things come up later on down the line, you say, all right, that's fine. Uh, it's, not, it's not in our plan. It's not on the guiding policy. It actually hits a different goal. So we'll have to make a trade-off given our resources. Either we get more budget and headcount to accomplish this, or we're going to have to not publish 20 articles, right? And then this is the economic loss we'll take from that. And then you can communicate those things with objective data and you already had everybody agree on the plan beforehand. Yeah, really quick. Uh, I think he got that from the book, Good Strategy, Bad Strategy, which I strongly recommend everyone read. It's like, it's very dry. Some of the case studies are pretty interesting, but definitely pulls you back, especially if you're in more of an individual contributor role to like think more strategically. But I think Tom did a great job applying it to like SEO. And what this has helped getting me to think about is there might be a case for doing some sort of course or something on like how to pitch content strategy to your executive team. Like, mm-hmm. how does one do that? That's not, that's not a skill I learned <laughs> in my job. I have to like figure it out on my own. I think that's a huge yeah. thing people struggle with. Yeah. Yeah, as a as a former IC and like content lead, I was lucky to work under exec teams that were really bought in on content. A couple of them were actually from HubSpot, so it it paved the the way really well for me. But I think the biggest like besides getting buy in and having someone just like give you the reins and be like, I you know I hired you for a reason, I trust you, blah blah blah. I think the second biggest like challenge is folks 
being able to incorporate their executive team and their leadership teams into their strategy, namely through distribution and, and expertise through thought leadership. I think, you know, the or, the same organic play that we were talking about, you know, there's other distribution plays that all come down to where your audience is, like meet your audience where they are. That's such an overused phrase, but it's so true. Like we work with a lot of B2B companies, a lot of the decision makers and the folks that our clients are pursuing are higher up in the hierarchy in the org chart. Like they're probably not Googling like how to do X or one-on-one content, like you said, David, and maybe they're spending some time on Google solving their problems or looking for reliable folks. But like I said, how content consumption is changing, there's a lot of trust being placed into individuals. So I know the three of us, like we all have our own websites, our own blogs, our own newsletters. Alex and David's are a lot more active than mine. But when it comes to like targeting folks that are higher up in organizations, there's a lot more trust building that needs to take place. And companies like as ICs or content leads want to build that trust within their content program, they have to leverage the knowledge and the expertise of those that built the company or hired them or set the stage or set the positioning or all that stuff. Um, I know Alex and I have talked a lot about like what narrative excavation looks like for some of our clients and some of our like folks that we're working with. A lot of people call this thought leadership, hybrid content, whatever. Um, but second to getting buy-in from executives is getting their time too. And I think that that would be something really good to build a course on or at least write a post on. Cause like you can only do so much through an organic play. Right. And like the topics that you surface through organic research. Um, thankfully now content strategy, it's like pretty common to weave in thought leadership, but I don't think a lot of people do it really well. Um, but I think second to like how you use thought leadership and how you use um, like position-driven topic research and like POV-driven POV topic research, I think there needs to be like the complementary distribution as well. And that's probably not through Google, depending on how you're writing the piece and how you're anchoring it in a keyword or not. I just on a massive tangent, but I was just thinking about like how to, how to leverage like your exec's time and their buy-in. And I think that that's almost a two-parter. Like I think those should go hand in hand. Um, especially for folks who can't really get like a CEO or a CMO's like backing, maybe. Well, I think incorporating in the them system. helps yeah. with buy-in in many yeah. cases because then they see exactly. the, the composite of how, how it's made. But the buy-in thing is interesting. I actually wrote that down as a note too. So I, I love this book, The 33 Strategies of War by Robert Greene. <laughs> I've read it like three times now. <laughs> and uh, he Jeez, chunks it out. It's like, a massive book. <laughs> it's a massive book. Yeah. So this is like, weird. Uh, Robert Greene's phenomenal. Uh, but yeah, so war strategy is is interesting in, in many ways. You can translate a lot of that into business and, and other aspects of life. But he splits out strategy into multiple parts. Uh, the first one that he writes about is self-directed warfare. And that's something that I haven't thought about a lot uh, with regards to content strategy and SEO until I've had some recent conversations with larger companies who are thinking about investing more in content. And something that's come up many times is this has to be exciting enough not in isolation, not in an echo chamber in the content space, but it has to be exciting enough for us to invest in given all the competing priorities. So it's like, how do you get that buy-in? And that's the self-directed strategy. That's the self-directed warfare mm. that gets everybody, including your boss, who's who's you know going to fund the operation and everybody who needs to be involved in executing it to a high level. So I think one very important thing is making the case that this is the most exciting initiative that we could invest in. And it's like kind of on you to figure out like what that total addressable market is or what that like 
feasible target is if we were to invest in this plan. That's something that I don't think I haven't seen a lot of content marketers kind of think heavily about. They kind of just opine on the fact that, oh, like we, you know, we don't get investment in content, like our budget's getting cut. And it's like you you gotta wonder why. It's like you're not making the case for content above and beyond like increased paid investment, which is like like that's such a direct correlation or or causal tie-in with like revenue. You know, like how can we make that case from the content standpoint? And if the strategy is so, not like, by the way, in the best case scenario, going to beat a different investment, then like you shouldn't expect your boss to invest in it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. I heard two things. One, or one is kind of me extrapolating, but like, I know that a lot of marketing teams are getting like cut right now, mm-hmm. like because of economic conditions. And part of that is probably because they weren't able to tie their efforts to business impact like revenue or leads at least and my hope is by having more of these conversations we can help more folks in content like zoom kind of less zoom out of the content side and more into the marketing side of like how is my work contributing to the business um and helping prioritize what they do there and i think the other part is alex it sounds like what you're saying is being able to communicate why this content strategy whatever should be the number one priority because now you're not even talking about content strategy. You're talking about marketing and business strategy mm-hmm. to an executive team. You're like, I know you have all these other things you want to do. Here's what I'm pitching. Here is what the impact can be of this program compared to all those other programs and why it should be number one. Like that's a whole different level that I love that we're talking about this. Cause I think in line with our whole principle of leveling up the content marketing universe, this th- like, that's the type of stuff that's going to get us there. Cause it's it's not just being like oh you're the team that writes words it's oh you're the team building out the strategy for figuring out how we get into the marketing get customers yeah that's contributing is... 15% of our leads month over month or something like that right like when you can yeah. make that pitch like this is the old world that we came from here's the new world that i imagine um whether it's like a quantitative number like that or whether it's more qualitative and aspirational like hey we're the go to place where people learn about crypto like we're ba- we're the go to like when people think crypto they search this mm-hmm. like that's a vision and then you can kind of compute on that and like you can create a plan to get there but that's what is exciting in you know comparison to all the other things that you could potentially doing to grow your business in in relation to like your competitors and like you know there's a million things on the minds of marketing executives it's not necessarily like a couple a handful of blog posts and how they're published it's like that overall kind of vision and where you want to get to sick this got me hyped up i i think i think we dug into a lot of pretty like meaty topics that could be a like discussion on their own of like how the content strategist needs to be a business strategist almost Mm -hmm. um so maybe that's a that's a part two to all this well uh one thing that would be interesting is um maybe to like meta level pull back the curtain on the kitchen side in that we're talking, we, we've mentioned and referenced a lot of like uh, talking points like Tom Critchlow and good strategy, bad strategy. I mentioned 33 strategies for you had a note here in, in the discussion notes uh, around like, what are some unorthodox things that mm-hmm. contributed to how our thinking has evolved? But I wonder, I mean, I obsess over strategy. It's something like I told you, I read that book three times and I have a whole shelf full of like strategy books. Like this is something I think about a lot. So how... <laughs> How are the strategic minds of Omniscient Digital forged? How do we get to this thinking style? David, you said DJs. So I 
I am like really big into music and dance. And like, I just will listen to the same artist on repeat. And I started thinking about music as like a form of content marketing. Like what, what do bands do? They release singles leading up to their tour. Like, oh, like they're building up hype. That's all going to get people talking about them. They're expecting another album that builds up more hype when they release the album. And then they had, they're announcing that they're on tour. Like all of it has a job of like, their strategy is like to tease out like that interest, get them talking and then do a tour and monetize that attention. Like that's a very like rough way of explaining it. But um, I started seeing that pattern happen over and over. I was like, oh, this is like a common playbook, which is probably very obvious to musicians and people in the industry. But to me as an outsider, I'm like, this is actually interesting. Because now that I view music as content, I'm like, oh, well, what else are you doing? And then you find out that some musicians are like, um, like having other DJs remix their song. Yeah, like collabs, that's huge. Yeah, and then you'll have like 12 remixes of one song. And each of those remixes are by DJs who have their own audience. So remixes are like a distribution method. I'm like, holy shit, like there's this whole thing going on in this universe. I don't even know, but I just enjoyed remixes. And now the song Say My Name by Destiny's Child is in my head because I've been listening to remixes of that. And all of a sudden <laughs> I'm listening to like Destiny's Child music. Like, I don't know how that happened, but I'm like, there's, I, I take inspiration from a lot of that stuff where it's like, it's not new, but to me, it's mind blowing tying the dots, like connecting the dots. I'm like, I wonder what we can do for content strategy for that. Um, yeah. Like well, the remixing just, has a very clear analogy, but yeah. yeah. It's cool how you like take these things that are very commonplace to probably everyone listening and drill down into like the why behind it. Like maybe it's a common tactic partnering with a, another artist, but like there's always like an underlying, I don't want to use the word agenda because it has a negative connotation, but there is, there's like a, a reason that why people do that. And it's cool to like apply it to what we do every day. Well, th it's this really is, um, the essence of creativity and I think why generalists make the best strategists is because of the pattern connecting facilities yeah. and like being endless curious and, and mindful and connecting those dots. Because I know that's something like my best ideas have come from reading from disparate places or like noticing disparate things and being like, oh, I could I could apply that to content or I could apply this to experimentation. So mine, uh, th the normal ones, I will say, are like war strategy. I've read a lot of like Klaus Fitz and Sun Tzu, <laughs> 33 Strategies of War economics, decision theory, and statistics. I think all of those are like, you can easily see why those apply. But one area that I find fascinating because it's so relevant to marketing in general is evolutionary biology and particularly sexual selection. So it's like mating theory, uh, you know, throughout the animal kingdom. And like, you get these theories like fisherian runaway, which I've likened to how Google search results work. Essentially, like when you have like a, 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 a fitness signal or a mating strength signal, um, the the opposite side starts to like over-optimize for that. And you get these like absurd characteristics, like with uh, peacock's tails, right? <laughs> and it's just like this glorious, beautiful thing that actually becomes a disadvantage from a, a survival perspective. But because it's a mating advantage, it's it's selected for. Um, so all of that stuff I, I find fascinating because marketing is, is inherently just about like getting attention and getting selected um, out of like a vast array of options. So I've read a lot of that <laughs> stuff. Um, <laughs> you know what I think about when you talk about the peacock tail? Because <laughs> it's, it's like probably the bigger it is, the less conducive to survival. And I was like, well, they're not here for a long time, but they're here for a good time. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's ridiculous. <laughs> no, it's true though. Cause like the way I look at it is like in search, you know how like um, the skyscraper technique was a huge thing for a while. Like you would essentially get these like 10,000 word articles that would cost all of your time and money and patience and like opportunity cost in pursuit of like a ranking that was absurd in the first place. Because like the goal of Google is just beef it up and make it more and more comprehensive. And you sort of like lose the war in, in it's like a Pyrrhic victory almost. Uh, because it's it's so overemphasized based on that selection criteria. So that's some nerdy shit. I don't have a cool answer here, you all. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. Nothing comes to mind for me. I'm sure it will later. I'll be sure to include it in our blog post. But yeah, the music one got me. I had never thought about it like that. I also learned. I was going to write a blog post a couple of years ago about like how I learned marketing from my barber because um, he has so many loyal clients who have followed him around like i have to try i have to drive 20 minutes to get to him like in traffic at once a month so it's like actually hour and a half to two hour trip in order to go get my haircut from him and it's like not a cheap haircut yeah and i was like what is it about my experience with him that makes me want to keep going like i feel guilty if i have to get a haircut from someone else like i don't i try to avoid that at all costs like what makes me so loyal and i was like well there's the experience of like sitting in a chair, like he remembers my name, like he knows my haircut, he double checks it every time to let me know he remembers, he's offered me whiskey, like all these things that add up. I'm like, ah, shit, this is like, how do you speak to your target audience in marketing and also like client services and all that? It's, it's yeah. an amazing lesson, like looking at other service providers who you just like love going to. I think like individual service providers like that are some of the best because they are like their own brand and they are the experience. Um, my esthetician, she has one, of, she's one of the best brand builders I've ever seen. And her, like everything from the way her office is to her Instagram to like her language and a lot of her like captions and when she emails people and it's like, I just go get my eyebrows done. Like it's nothing special, but it's like, I will go out of my way. She's expensive as hell. So, but it's like, why do I do this? It's like, I know what to expect. She's good at her job, obviously, but there's just something about the experience of it that is really enjoyable on top of having like a good outcome. So it's like, I, I always pay attention to that stuff too, because I think that they're working even harder um, to make sure that they do have loyal clients like that. The lesson that I take from that is something that I look, or I think a lot about with content. It's what is scarce and what is common. And in these scenarios, like what is scarce could be, you know, it's scarce because it's difficult to accomplish and maybe it's worthwhile because there's less competition there. But it also might be something that people are under indexing on, or it's sort of a hidden dimension that people actually care about. So like giving you whiskey, David, is like not that hard to do. And it's just something that not everybody else thought of, right? So like, where are those hidden areas that you can index on that everybody else is kind of overlooking in favor of, you know, in the content sense, like high search volume keywords, like what are the underrated things that you can index on that people aren't looking at? Yeah, there's first common. Jay Bear wrote a book uh, a while ago called Talk Triggers. And it's all about like, oops, creating word of mouth. And he talks about like, I think it's like the Doubletree Inn or some hotel, mid-range hotel. Like they give their customers um, or their visitors like a warm chocolate chip cookie when they check in. It's like, how much does that actually cost them? Like pennies, right? But it sticks with them. And of all the hotels, if all the hotels are the same price for a night, 
I'm probably going to pick the one I get a free cookie at, right? Like mm-hmm. if all else is equal, but I get a free cookie. Like that's how you bring people back. Like the whiskey, the cookie, all that stuff. I don't know how that translates to, to SaaS marketing or content even. Um, probably like more personality in your writing. You're still trying to rank for the same keyword, like little things like that, that I think people like push to the side in favor of like producing at scale or something consistent or outsourcing to this writer or even AI or whatever. And it's like, that stuff's great, but you still can't forget the things that make it a very unique value add only to your brand, only to your content, your publication. Um, I think that that is something that I think a lot of people overlook. Yeah. Maybe tying it back to content strategy too is when people copy con- competitor strategies, like that assumes you think what they're doing is working, which is <laughs> probably not. Like probably you not must true. have a lot of faith in what your competitors are doing. Yeah. I often look at competitors. I'm like, why the fuck are you doing that? Um, but then of course some C-level is going to be like, you should, we should do what they're doing, which yeah. is wrong. Uh, the other part is just because the competitor is doing it doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Like, I don't know if anyone listening goes to Supercuts, but like, I'm not going to go to Supercuts if they give me whiskey. But like the fact that my barber gives me whiskey just makes me love him even more. So it's sort of like figuring out like, what is that our special thing? Um, yeah. Like what what is like for the business or product or whatever. But uh, I thought this was good. Well, that's something, if I could sum it up, like the three axioms of a good content strategy that I always say, and I, I think I want to add the fourth, which is like, it should be exciting enough to like beat out all of the other competing initiatives that you could invest in. Mm-hmm. But the three that I always say um, that kind of have to be in place Content should drive uh, measurable ROI. Content should be a compounding flywheel channel. It should grow over time in its moat and defensibility. And then the last one, which is what we just touched on, content strategy should be one that you're uniquely suited to win. You know, if somebody else can do it, they probably will. Yeah. All right. Amen to that. Amen. (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) 